Well, good morning. How many of you have memories of the childhood home you grew up in? You know, I remember the place I grew up in, in Northeast Portland. And uh, I don't know, but as a little kid, I thought we must be rich because this is a mansion, you know? And on rainy winter days, I would explore this old house. And there was all kinds of great nooks and crannies for a little kid. Upstairs, if you went into the upstairs bedroom, there was a little piece of plywood you could push out of the way and get into the attic. And I used to drag boards up in there and I kind of ended up making a floor over the rafters. And, and you know, eventually I, I ended up with a bootleg chemistry set in there and just about blew the house up one day, you know, one winter day. And used to go downstairs, way down in the basement, behind the oil furnace, and used to build the model airplanes down there, you know, behind that big old clunky oil furnace. Probably lost a few brain cells sniffing all that stuff that you build model airplanes with. But the best part of our house was under the stairs, there was a little door like a cupboard under the stairs. And we used to keep the vacuum in there. And on rainy days when I was bored, I would go in there and like have adventures. You know, I would like dream I was in a time machine. I would take the vacuum and you know, strap it to my face, you know, and I'd be like, oh, Apollo astronaut Mark, you know. And, you know, it was just an amazing place to go. And I just thought, this house is so huge. And I have these memories of this great, huge mansion that I grew up in. Well, many years later, I had a chance to go back to that house as an adult. And I remember thinking, seriously? This is the house I grew up in? It looked really, really small and really, really dingy and really, really dumpy, you know? It's funny how our perceptions can change from our childhood memories to when we grow later. Um, this experience isn't just about that kind of experience. There are other things in our lives too. You know, as I've been thinking the last couple of weeks and preparing for today, I think that that can be true about our spiritual journey as well. Um, do you remember how big Jesus seemed when you were first saved? For those of you who can remember when you were saved, I mean, especially if you got saved out of a pretty messed up life. I mean, Jesus was huge. You know, that burden of sin that you felt was taken away. You had hope. Maybe you were healed from some addictions or something in your life. Was a, there was a radical change in your life. And you just remember how big Jesus is when we're first saved. You know, we won't shut up. You know, we want to, we want to tell everybody about who is Jesus because this, this, he's so huge, right? But over time, he can kind of get smaller. And I think our view of Jesus can shrink if we're not careful sometimes as we go along as Christians. And this morning we're going to start, a, Lord willing, a four-week little series in the book of Colossians on Sunday morning. And uh, Paul was writing to a church in the first century, Christians who lived in the town of Colossae, and they were facing this same kind of pressure. This is what I love about the Word of God. Even though this book is 2,000 years old, it's still relevant for today because there were pressures facing them that were making Jesus smaller were conspiring to make Jesus smaller in their life. Um, and Paul really recognized the deadly threat that this has. And it's an assault on the very foundation of the Christian faith when we start to, to let Jesus be diminished. See, Christianity is not a religion. I mean, technically people say it's one of the world religions, but I hate religion. I don't know about you. I'm not interested in religion. You know, it's not an ism, it's not a, a moral code, it's not a set of standards. You don't have to dress a certain way or sound a certain way. You know, Christianity at its heart is about a person, Jesus Christ. 
And it's about a real relationship with Jesus Christ. So if we ever get into a place where we start to lose perspective on who Jesus is, very easily we can lose the plot in our Christian faith. And our faith diminishes and our, the whole experience of what Jesus has intended for us as believers, walking with him, seeing him, experiencing his power, can be affected. And that's what Paul was addressing as he, as he opened the book of Colossians. I invite you to turn there with me this morning. We'll start today in Colossians chapter 1. I'm going to read verses 15 to 20. So Paul's addressing this issue of a shrinking Jesus uh, and a church that was getting deluded in terms of what was really important and what was really real about their faith. And here's what he says. He just lifts Jesus up. Listen to his words. He says, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He's the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him, in him, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and through him to reconcile to himself all things whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of the cross. Let's just pray. Lord, I, I, I'm just blown away by this scripture, Lord. I, how in the world can we even get our heads around this this morning? Uh, and yet, Lord, I do believe that can happen by your power and by your authority, Jesus. So I pray you just connect our hearts with your heart this morning, Lord, to lift our eyes up. Lord, I pray even now that the pressures and the weight of the weak would be released, that we could be able to focus our eyes and see you for who you are, Lord, thank you that you are a teacher. Holy Spirit, we welcome you as we work through these words. Help us to understand them not only in our minds, but in our hearts this morning, Lord. Amen. Well, let's look at this list. Um, there's six things that Paul talks about who Jesus is. And right out of the chutes in verse 15, he says, Jesus is God. That's hard for us to get our head around. And that's been something for 2,000 years we've been trying to figure out as human beings. But Jesus is God. Look in verse 15. He's the image of the invisible God. We know in the Old Testament, you know, people wanted to see God. Moses said, show me your glory. And God said, well, you can't see me because you'll die, but I'll pass by and I'll put you in the cleft and put my hand over you. And you can see kind of the, the, the radiance of the glory as I pass by, right? People want to know, what does God look like? Well, what God looks like if he came to earth is Jesus. Not physically, but in the way he acted, in the way he thought, in the way he related to people and what he did. That's what God would look like if he came to earth because that's what happened. God came to earth in Jesus Christ. And Paul's reminding people, Jesus is God. Look at verse 17 a little farther down. And he is before all things. So Jesus was before everything in verse 19. He's trying to find the words again. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell it's like he's running out of English words and frustrated because he can't get all that's in his heart. But the fullness of God was pleased to dwell because Jesus is God. Let me read you a couple other passages in other places of the Bible that try to, try to explain this because it's hard for our little brains to get. But John in chapter 1, he struggled with this, trying to put into words who he, who he had realized Jesus is. John 1, starting in uh, verse 1 to 5, says, In the beginning was the Word. And the word was with God, and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. 
All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the light was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. And in verse 14, the big reveal. And this word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we've seen his glory, the glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Philippians 2, Paul tries it again to explain this nature of what's this God-man? How does that work? How does God in a body work? And again, he's working hard to get it, but 2.6, Paul says this, Jesus, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant and being born in likeness of men. Being found in human form, he humbled himself, became obedient to death, even the point of death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him, bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. You can see him struggling, trying to figure out, how do I, how do I explain this? The writer of Hebrews takes a run at it as well. In Hebrews chapter 1, just read 1, 2, verses 2 and 3 in, in Hebrews chapter 1. Long ago and at many times in many ways God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days he's spoken to us by his son whom he appointed the heir of all things through whom also he created the world. He's the radiance of the glory of God in the exact imprint of his nature. He upholds the universe by the word of his power. (laughs) These are all attempts to be able to explain Jesus as the God man. And Paul starts this whole thing, this whole list, talking about who Jesus is and beginning to remind them, we're talking about God here when we're thinking about Jesus and the pressures that are coming against this, the isms and the false teaching that was starting to develop in Colossae at this time. He is God himself. And don't get freaked out. In this scripture, he says he's the firstborn of all creation. Um, you know, oh no, oh, is Jesus creator? Oh. You know, did did the Jehovah's Witnesses, did they get it right? Well, relax. When we start to look at context in this situation, we see it can't be that created nature. We look in the Word of God, this issue of firstborn talks that there's two components to that. One is time. That would be what we would think about right away when we read that. But there's another sense of this word that has to do with supremacy in rank. And so if you think about in the Old Testament, who got the inheritance usually? The firstborn, sorry ladies, male, Right? They got all the marbles, or most of them. Nowadays, somebody dies, and, you know, unless you're really stupid, you know, everybody gets a piece of the pie, sort of, right? But not so much in ancient times. So when he talks about the firstborn of all creation, he's emphasizing the fact that Jesus gets all the marbles. <laughs> you know, he gets all of the authority that God has to pass on in his inheritance. So he's, he's raising that status of seeing the place of Jesus and where he is. So he starts out by saying, Jesus is God. I saw a bumper sticker and I hate it, you know. Jesus is my co-pilot. And I'm like, oh, isn't that cute? Jesus is this person's co-pilot. And then I started to get angry, <laughs> you know. It's like, wait a minute. Jesus is not your co-pilot. Jesus is Lord of the universe. He is God Almighty, you know. And yeah, sure, I love that you think he's your good buddy. And that's true. He's with us. He's present with us. He's, you know, navigating for us. But he's so much more than that. And we can get our view down too small about who Jesus is. And Paul just comes right out of the chutes and says, right away, Jesus is God. Don't forget that. Let's look in verse 16. Not only is Jesus God, but Jesus created everything. He said, in him, all things are created in heaven and on earth, 
whether visible or invisible, thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. Everything in the realm, not only in the spiritual realm, which we're so familiar with, but in the spiritual realm, which is no less real than the physical realm, the angelic realm, the realm of the unseen things. And he goes through a list of lots of different levels of that. All of these things have been created through Jesus, but not only through Jesus, there are for Jesus. He's created everything in all realms. As we started to help them to see, look, get your eyes up. And don't forget who we're talking about. Jesus is the creator of everything that's seen and everything that's unseen in heaven and on earth. Look at verse 17. Goes in and talks about the fact that Jesus holds everything together. And in him, all things hold together. What in the world does that mean? You know, I've been thinking about that this week. And, and there are smart Christians who are, you know, into physics and all kinds of things you know I I mean I barely passed cell biology in grade nine that's about as far as I got so I'm not the person to talk about this but I know there are people that wonder what is it that keeps order from turning into chaos in the universe and there's a lot of smart people believers and not believers trying to figure out what what keeps this whole thing together the more they understand about it the more they seem to think you know I don't understand what's held what's holding this thing together I think we can look at this as the revealed word of God 2,000 years ago to say Jesus is the thing that holds it all together. And, you know, maybe even, I don't know, the subatomic level, you know, try to be cool. You know, he's holding everything together. And if he releases his hand from that, instantly everything goes into chaos and disorder. That's the kind of God that we're talking about. That's the kind of person that Paul's reminding them about who Jesus is. He literally holds everything together in his hand. He created everything and he holds everything together. Look in verse 18. And he is the head of the body, the church. Now, why is that a big deal? Well, it's a big deal because the church, who are us, the Christians, the called out ones in, in the body of Christ, that a, a man is not the head of that church. I don't care what a religion says or what our tradition says, there is no man that's the head of the church. It wasn't Peter, it's not any man. Jesus is the head of the church. We hear that a lot at our church. Mike regularly says, I'm not the head of this church. He's the leader who leads the leaders, but Jesus is the head of the church. And when you think about that kind of authority and that kind of power and that kind of leadership throughout the centuries, the millions and millions of people that have become and are becoming part of his body, that puts him in a different perspective. Uh, He's the head of the church, and we are his body. That's what's so great. 1 Corinthians 12, the body of Christ. That whole extended analogy, we each have a role to play there. But who is quarterbacking all of that? The head, Jesus Christ. So we need to see him in that position that he has in that role of authority. Look at verse 18. Jesus is the head of church, but there's more in 18. It says um, in verse 18, he is the firstborn from the dead. Wow, the firstborn from the dead. What in the world is that about? Well, we think about the fact that Jesus overcame the death by the power of God. His resurrection was a direct impact of the power of God working in him. And he was the first person that happened to. Yeah, there have been people who have been raised from the dead, but they died again and later on. And yeah, there's some stuff in the Old Testament we're still trying to figure out. But Jesus is the firstborn from the dead. In the, in the book of Romans, in Romans 5, it talks about Adam being the first man and what he brought us. Thanks for the present, great, 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 great ground. But he brought us death. But the second Adam, Jesus Christ, brought us life because he's the firstborn from the dead. And as Christians, we, we are baptized into his death 
But not just that, we're baptized into his resurrection. So he started the whole ball rolling, and all of us in Christ will eventually be resurrected in his power by the power of God. That's pretty significant. That's pretty huge when you think about who Jesus is and the role he played in that. He's the firstborn of all creation. Firstborn from the dead. In verse 20, um, and through him, Jesus, to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of the cross. What did Jesus do? This is all about who he is. What did Jesus accomplish? He was the great reconciler. You know, what does that word mean? Reconciler is someone who comes in when there are two parties that are estranged, that are, are mad at each other, that aren't talking to each other, that are at war at each other. And that person brings reconciliation, restores relationship, the restoration of a previously existing relationship. A teenager who won't talk to their parents and parents who won't talk to a teenager, a reconciler comes in and brings those two back and heals that relationship. Two great uncles who hate each other's guts because someone stole somebody's boat 50 years ago, you know? They're irreconcilable and yet the reconciler comes in and brings restoration. We were, we were in antagonistic to God. We were separated from God because of our sin. Every one of us, the book of Colossians says right after this. And yet Jesus has reconciled everything to himself through his blood and through the cross. That was the vehicle. Jesus is the great reconciler. He's made a way for us to get back right with God. If you're here today and you've come because you know there's something wrong in your heart, you know you can't deal with the sin, there's a weight that you have, that's a godly weight and that's God's Holy Spirit speaking to you saying that you can't get this right, but Jesus can. He is the great reconciler and he can bring back a relationship. He can restore what was in the garden before sin. Do you remember how wonderful? Walking and talking with God in the cool of evening. No shame, you know, no sin, no sickness, no death. That's what he's restoring to us and God together because of what he did on the cross. So are you starting to get your brain, brain exploding? I hope you are because this is exactly what Paul's doing just over and over and over, raising Jesus up, helping us to see who Jesus is. So what's his point? This whole big list of all these things he's going through. Yeah, Jesus is God. Jesus created everything. Jesus holds everything together. Jesus is the head of the church. He's the firstborn for the dead. He's the great reconciler. What's he getting at? Well, I think the key of what he's getting at, you'll see in verse 18. All of these things, it says, is, are done so that Jesus might be preeminent, this translation says. When's the last time you word, used the word preeminent? <laughs> Been a while, huh? Whoa, we had a great, great Super Bowl party. Those nachos were like preeminent. <laughs> you know? That new Mercedes that just came out is totally preeminent. It's not a word we really use, but I love it because it's jarring me. And as I've been thinking about it the last couple of weeks, I've been thinking, what, what does that mean? What could that mean that Jesus would be preeminent? What's the meaning of that word? Well, when you look back into it, it's a pretty big word. It could be literally translated. I mean, it's not correct English, but firsting, F-I-R-S-T-I-N-G. Jesus is firsting. You know, in everything, he would have preeminence. This is why God has done what he's done and what he's doing, what he's doing. So we can see Jesus as the firsting. And there's different components to that. There's time. We get that, you know, first in time. We're really good at that. But who is it that has been there from the very beginning? Who is the Alpha and the Omega? Who's the one who's shown up before we showed up? That's Jesus. 
There's a time component to that preeminence. There's a sequential component to that preeminence. You know, you have a grocery list and, you know, you go through all these things and, you know, what you put at the front of the list is more important. Don't forget that thing. He's, he's sequentially the most important. That same component in that too. He should be preeminent in the list of things in our life. He should be at the top of the list, what Paul's saying, because of his position, because of his role. There's also degree. So when we say, uh, you know, seek ye first the kingdom of God and all his righteousness, does that mean start with Jesus and when you're done with that, go all the other stuff? No. Preeminence means that's all there is. We're seeking Jesus because everything else doesn't really, it fades away when we've seen Jesus as who he is in his first place. So Paul's saying this is all so that Jesus might be preeminent in your lives. He might be first. He might be the firsting in our lives. And it's easy to lose this. Do you know what I do you understand what I'm saying? If you've walked with Christ for a while, there are pressures that come against us that conspire against us to 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 make Jesus smaller. It's just a strategy of the enemy. He'll throw whatever he can. He'll throw stuff on to add to Jesus. Yeah, Jesus is great, but you got to do a bunch of other stuff that isn't Jesus stuff. He'll try to get us to take away Jesus stuff. Yeah, oh yeah, love your neighbor, that's a good thing. But forget about this other stuff that Jesus said. It's, it's an adding and a taking away, a strategy. But it's all to make Jesus smaller and smaller and smaller in our lives. How do you know if Jesus is getting smaller? It can be imperceptible. It's so subtle. I want to talk to you real square this morning because I want you to be thinking about this. Maybe this is happening in your own life and you don't even realize it. Well, here's some things that might jar you. How do you know that Jesus might be getting smaller in your life? You're just not that much into worship. You know? Yeah, I don't mind coming late because let's get the perfunctory stuff out of the way and when the guy starts to preach, then I'm interested. Uh, If we're not really that into worship, what are we saying? Because we focus on what we value. Isn't that true? You know, if you have... (laughs) I saw a guy in a parking lot with this ridiculous BMW this last week. And he's, I, every time I go by, it's my daughter's place. He's always shined it up. But I could tell it's just his baby, you know. Well, he had this tent that fit over the whole car. I've never seen it. It was like bolted onto the car for the snow. I was like, who is this guy? Get a life, man. It's just a car. We, we focus on the things that we value. And when we worship with our hearts, we're saying to Jesus, I value you. So if your desire to to worship is grown cold, it can be a check in your life. Just to say, maybe Jesus is getting smaller and you're not seeing it. That's why I love that we're a church that worships. We're going to spend some time. We've built the service so there's some extra time afterwards to be able to worship and get our eyes back up on Jesus. But it can be a sign. Now I'm quit preaching and I'll start meddling. You're not tithing. If you're not tithing, it can be a sign that your view of Jesus may be getting smaller. There's two things in, in life that don't lie. The mirror and our bank accounts. <laughs> they tell the truth about where we are, okay? And if we're not tithing, in a sense, we're saying, Jesus, you're not big enough to take care of my needs. I'll need to take control of that. This is straight talk. I'm, are you okay? Even if you're not, too bad, you know? <laughs> Jesus could be getting smaller. If you haven't taken a risk in anything with Jesus or for Jesus lately, that can be a sign that Jesus is getting smaller in your life. You haven't stepped out. You haven't done anything new or, or risky for Jesus. It's a sign that maybe he's getting smaller and the pressures of the world are, are shrinking Jesus in your life. If everything in your life adds up through human math, 
it might mean that your view of Jesus is shrinking. What do I mean by that? Everything is predictable. It all makes sense in my life. All the stuff adds up on a human level. That's not exciting Christian life. If, there's, if I can explain everything in my life by humanness, what's the difference between me and somebody who doesn't have Jesus? Zero. But the adventure of Jesus to come together, like we said in the prayer meeting this morning, people talking about what God is doing and what their expectations for in people's lives. Things that when they happen, they won't add up humanly. You know what I mean? They weren't just good thoughts. It was God's active presence in their life and in the people around them. If, if you haven't experienced that, if you're not living like that, I just want to remind you, maybe, maybe Jesus is getting smaller in your life. And it's time to focus back on Jesus and let him take his place and let that adventure restart. You might have memories of what that was like to live that kind of life. That's the normal Christian life. To be just straight, flat-lined, it all just adds up by human math. That's not the, that's not the life of faith that God intended for us. It's a life full and abundant and exciting and full of adventure and full of all kinds of spaces where you can say, I don't know humanly how in the world that even happened. It happened through the power of Jesus Christ. That's a person who's got a big view of Jesus, who sees Jesus for who he is. You think back to the memories of my, how big my house was. Did the actual size of the house change? What changed? I came back 20 years later and saw it through my adult eyes. You know, I had gotten bigger. My energies had gotten bigger. My resources had gotten bigger. My desires had gotten bigger. It was all about me. The house hadn't changed, but I had changed my perception. And that's what can take place if we're not careful in this idea of Jesus shrinking. It can become all about us and all about our stuff, and we can start to lose sight about who we're talking about, the risen Lord. If you're here in condemnation today, please don't receive that. You know, it says in Romans 8, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. I just want us to be able to wake up and not be deluded and not be uh, hoodwinked into maybe the fact that Jesus is decreasing in our eyes. Because when we turn our attention to him, we lift our eyes to the author and perfecter of our faith, everything changes. Things start to grow dim. The stuff which seems so important to us on earth when we start to see Jesus' eyes and let him become, whoa, whoa, big, 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 everything starts to change in our perception. And that's a great way for us to start out this next four weeks, just to be thinking about where is Jesus in the picture here? Is he a little teeny thing in the back rearview mirror from 20 years ago? That was pretty cool. Or is he filling the front of where I'm headed, the direction I'm going? Let's let Jesus be Jesus. Let him grow to the place he is. And even show us new things about what he wants to show us. I love this scripture because Paul's just almost like out of breath. He's just he's like a machine gun. I can't even find the words to be able to help you see how big Jesus is. I want to get back in that place in my life where I, I run out of English explaining how amazing and how big he is. It might be a place for you too in that too. I want to give some space for that. I invite the worship team to come back up this morning. Uh, you know, we got some time. We built this in today. And maybe this is just a time of reflection, just to say in your heart, Lord, I'm just listening to the Lord and saying, Lord, what's on your heart for this morning? I just felt like there was a scripture. Jesus said, when I, when I have been lifted up, I will draw all people to myself. He was talking about his death in that context. It's in John 12. I, I understand that, but I think there's much more to that. I think as Jesus is lifted up 
in our eyes, in our life, we are drawn closer to him because we see him for who the reality and he is. And when, when we live like that, others around us see that there's something different. We're, we're living with a big Jesus. I just want to ask God to be able to, to begin to do that. Let's stand together. I invite you just to be able to stand. We're just going to spend some time with the Lord in worship. Let me just pray for you. Lord, thank you for what you've done. I thank you for all that you are. Lord, right now, I just pray, Holy Spirit, we invite you, the gentleness of your conviction, to come and just remind us if maybe you've gotten too small. You're such a gracious God, Lord. You want to call us back and open our eyes to who you are, Lord. We turn our attention to you now. Focus on who you are, Jesus. Exalted, risen, reigning, and ruling. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. Church, um, the thing that shrinks God for me the most is when we fall out of love with Him. It shrinks our physical families when we fall out of love with our loved ones. And things change. And Mark's right. It's all of these things that we need to do. But we, I just want to remind us that we do it not out of obligation. We don't tithe because we have to. We don't worship because we have to. We do that because it's an outflow of the unconditional love of God for us. And Romans 5 says, He pours that love into our hearts by His Spirit. And I think for me, that's one of the things too in, in, in having the big view of God is, is falling in love with Him afresh. Like He started when you first get saved and I remember that we'd do anything and everything for Him. And this is not a, a thing of condemnation, as Mark said. This is just a conviction that we serve the Christ, the Son of the living God. But we don't serve Him. He's not a, He's a good God. He's a gracious God. And I was just thinking about the, the church in Ephesus, as Mark was speaking. Man, they did so many things right. Everything right. They were doctrinally correct. They were uh, uh, and um, generous and all of these kind of things. But Jesus says this himself. You've forsaken your first love. And I think that's what the, the basis of our relationship is. God is love. John said that. And, and so the basis for me is for us to discover afresh even as we worship now allow the spirit if your love tanks are empty and you're saying God this is getting hard or whatever it is even worship in that Romans 5 goes go and read it for yourself it says in Romans 5 God pours out his love into our hearts by his spirit and one of the things is when we begin to worship God now and you might have a love tank that is really empty and I've been there, got all of those t-shirts a hundred times. That's when I come to God, my Father, God, the Son, God, the Holy Spirit. And I say, pour out your love into my heart afresh. Pour out your love. And I'm just, as we go into this and we, Mark has done an amazing job. And, uh, and I'm just so excited about listening to the next few weeks of the service. But the bigness of God comes. You know when you really love somebody, 
It takes all your attention. You want to give them all your money. You want to stab late. You want to sing their praises. You want to do all of that. And that's where we are with God. And so let's allow the Spirit of God. Uh, please go over these sermons. Mark is an incredible teacher. And, um, but what we do on a Sunday is something for us to meditate on. And meditating to me is like chewing on that word. What was God thinking? What was, what was Mark saying? about God and um, just allow that today I'm going to as Mark said we're going to ask the Holy Spirit have, have you got something we're going to ask the Holy Spirit just to begin to move if you're weary if God has shrunk all He wants you to do is fix your eyes on Him Hebrews 12 because he's not only the author of our faith and the, the genesis the, of our faith, but he says he's the perfecter of our faith. It's all about him. It's not about I have to do this. I, no, I, all I need to do is yield myself and allow the reign of the Spirit to even come now and just let's begin to worship and allow the Spirit of God just fill us afresh with his presence and his love.